Hello, and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a weekly podcast where people get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. I'm the host, Jeremy, and today my guest is Owen Burton of the Lost Archives podcast. Uh, I discovered the Lost Archives when I was just scrolling through a Facebook thread about um, people asking for podcast recommendations, and I happened to see Owen recommending his podcast, Lost Archives, and immediately went, ooh, that's an interesting idea. It's um, a a live play of Tyranny of Dragons. I'm into that campaign. I'd like to see how people do it. And Melee went, yeah, that's someone I want to talk to. And it was really fun. I had a great time, uh, as you'll see, that we were talking about Discworld for a little bit, uh, which is always the key to getting me to chat on and on and on. Um, hopefully you enjoy it as well. Hopefully you check out the Lost Archives after this. So uh, listen on. So every time someone else would be talking, there's this, and eventually like, can you, look, I know what's happening. We're just going to stop halfway through, tell them to turn the microphone off and it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't want to draw attention to it because most of the time we managed to save it. So have you recorded podcasts before, like before you started Lost Archives, were you doing podcasts as well? Or is this first? No, this is, this is completely new. Um, this is yeah, first time podcasting, first time live streaming, first time wow. doing anything with YouTube. Um, oh, wait, so you're yeah, live streaming as well? In. Oh yeah, 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 and we hit Twitch affiliate yesterday as well, so we're well we're in. We're... Congratulations! Thank you very much. It's been a, yeah. it's been a crazy ride. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, and um, I'm actually pretty new to D and D as well. I've only been playing yeah. for like three and a half years. Well, that's, um, that's not that new. I know some people have only picked it up this no, year and true. are going out and, and doing it, but three and a half years, I mean, that's, oh, that's okay, still yeah. new. Yeah. That is, yeah. It's, and um, I've only ever been a DM, basically. I've, like, played yeah. as a character maybe twice. Because wow. once you start DMing, that's it. You, get, you get stuck in it and no one yeah. wants to DM. Yeah. There's the forever DM, and it's such a true trope that yeah. once you're, you're in it, and it helps when you're creative, like, uh, and you've got the, all those ideas kind of popping in your brain and you want to DM all the time. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm fortunate enough that I love it either side of the screen. I'm quite happy to be a player and quite happy to sit down and go, right, here's an adventure, off you go, enjoy. But I think there's a lot of people who um, they're stuck on just DMing all the time and the only time they get to make a character is when they put an NPC in front of somebody. Yes, I, I now incorporate very complex like player character NPCs into my game so that I at least can can live out some of those uh, character ideas I come up with. My D&D Beyond account is just full of just random characters. Like I'll be at work and I'll have a quick break and I'll be like, oh, that's a good idea for character. Do, 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 do. Quickly make that. <laughs> it's so great. And even just the Check randomization, just hitting the, Krill, I'm yeah. going to randomize it. I've got this weird person they run into in a bar. Mm. I found it's, yeah, great for, um, it's great for villains and bosses as well. Because so good, just, yeah. I've had one um, situation where I wanted them to be like up against a Baphomet cultist and went, you know what, that that's just a ranger. So I can make yeah. rangers really cool and just level them up to like level 16 or something and I've got all the stats there. I can just roll the dice. I've got all the, the feats and traits. Yeah. And then they discovered Polymorph and uh, <laughs> that didn't go so well for yep. him. I, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. I've got, I've got a character, uh, a character, I've got a... I've got a player in another yeah. game I don't live stream who um, has played like various different versions of D&D. Like he's a power gamer. Um, 
min maxes like he's he's full and so he comes up with the most incredible strategies like so he got given a bag of beans in um in oh, one of bro. our one of our sessions which was a random loot thing and so he ended up basically like sinking a town um because it was like venice style and he planted a couple of bag of beans and it unleashed like three bullets on the town that sort of oh, dug up God. from underneath and i was like fuck like how do i do this because <laughs> he just enrolled the same number like three yeah. times and that was it like that's just destroyed the town so he, he loves that sort of shit yes all these interesting characters oh, just rip that up in the bin yeah yeah it's like there goes all the npcs I, I built the entire backstory i built the royal family no they're all dead now they've sunk into the ocean now they're they're eroded now they've been polymorphed <laughs> now they're a shrew <laughs> <sighs> yeah oh, it's but they i find that the power gamers do love the wackier style of dnd they, they're willing to take those risks they're willing yeah. to to have a bit of fun to roll to roll the dice as it were <laughs> and mm-hmm. um go all in with a really crazy idea and see what happens yeah because i think they spent so long kind of building this perfect character for for them they've kind of tweaked every situation but they can't yeah. tweak what they're going to be fighting that they're going to be no. up against this thing and have no idea what it is and no idea what it's going to be able to do so they want that that feeling of uncertainty and that that randomness that things like the bag of beans can give them. Yeah, and they're the sort of players who like you give them a, a deck of many things and that's oh, yeah. it, campaign over. Yeah, yeah. I I refuse to have a deck of many things in most of my campaigns for simply the reasons like I don't know what's coming out of that thing. I think I yeah, saw... I, I created a I created a lesser version called the tarot deck of things that was based on like a tarot deck, um, and it was much much more chill. Like there was no world ending shit that could happen. Um, but it still caused like untold chaos in my campaign to the point where I now I now avoid using my own homebrew item that <laughs> I spent ages making like custom cards and everything for. I'm too scared to introduce it because of the the shenanigans that happen when I when I bring it out. That's the campaign ending deck. It's like great, we're wrapping up. It's level twenty. Here's the deck of the tarot deck of many things. Yeah. Like one of the players is ready to move overseas. You're like, okay, everybody, here we go. <laughs> here we go. This is. We're not going to introduce a new player at level thirteen. Let's just do this. <laughs> Uh, something i want to talk about i mean campaigns end and you do kind of want to have an epic ending and something like that is is quite appropriate for it because they're going to remember it do you reckon that's the most memorable thing that um they've done that it's always the the hijinks and the shenanigans that come out of stuff like that or is it more somebody's epic moment of confronting the the person who killed their father yeah, I think um, so. Generally, the campaigns that I've I've been involved in with with running have been a mixture of seriousness and comedy. And it's it's interesting that sometimes you get the serious moments, the ones that really stand out. So the one that stands out to me in the podcast is um, uh, Emric. Spoilers if you're not up to date. Um, Emric has actually left the party. <gasps> yeah, that's okay. Emric Emric actually recently left the party. Um, the player Jared wanted to try out a new character. He he sort of found that Emric was. Um, in his words, in his words, a bit too murder hoboy. So he, <laughs> he um he wanted to try out he wanted to try out a new character. Um, so he's he's playing a new character. But the reasons that he had his character leave actually really related well to his backstory. And it was a really a really tender moment, like when he when he left. Um, but I think the ones that stand out are the comedy moments, like yeah, the the deck of tarot things, or um, what are some other classics? We had we had one player who killed player characters in our like first session four times they kept re-rolling characters and one of the other player characters just by accident not deliberately not maliciously not bullying it just and that was one of the weirdest things i've ever been on that was a one shot uh wow. <laughs> just i said to this group like yeah guys we're gonna have to have a chat before we do another one shot like you can't you can't like run into someone in a hot air balloon and they fall out and you can't then like try and like 
pull the rope up by using some sort of like sword to wrap around it and stuff like oh that. My God. Oh boy! Yeah, they come up, they come up with the the greatest ideas. Uh, greatest is a word for it, yeah. <laughs> they're certainly great in the sense that they are large and out there. They're epic ideas, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Fantastical. So you're saying that's the one shot, and you were saying before that you've played for about three and a half years. How many campaigns have you yeah. run in that time? Uh, I mean, you've got the the Lost Archives, obviously, and the other one that you mentioned as well that isn't getting streamed. Um, have you got any others yeah. going at the moment? So I did at one point have three campaigns running simultaneously. So uh, my first time DMing, I actually started DMing in a homebrew world completely without any resource book. Like I just was like, let's just go for this. I'd played maybe like four or five sessions as a, as a character. I came in at like level 10 in an existing campaign and that was my first experience with D&D &D, and then wow. that campaign fell apart and there were no other DMs. And it was at this really cool place in, in Melbourne. Um, Izakaya Chuji have this games night they used to run where everyone could come in and you could play D&D, &D, but they never they never have enough DMs. So please, please sign up and be a DM if you're ever there. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just said, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. I had two friends with me and we had a bunch of other random people. And I just went all in with his homebrew world and we played that campaign for a while. And then I started up the Lost Archives, which is like a refined version of his homebrew world where um, I've had a lot of chance to, to fix mistakes that I made and, and improve on, on the events. Um, so the two campaigns I'm currently running, the Lost Archives podcast and then the, the other stream are both happening in the same world and the events in both are actually influencing each other. So um, some of my players have got some nice little references across the campaigns. Um, and eventually my plan is to start streaming both of them. So then yeah, listeners will be able to enjoy the, the things that have happened across both both campaigns as well so three is the maximum that i've ever run at a time uh, and that was exhausting <laughs> yeah it is it's just that constant preparation trying to balance where everybody is i yeah. mean even just having the two concurrently and understanding that well if they do this it's going to affect what happens next week in in the other session i mean i yep. would not be able to do that yep. it helps that they're both happening in the same world um that makes a huge difference if i was running two worlds simultaneously i'd i'd be in way over my head and i'd have no idea what was going on at any time um, yeah. No, that that would be a little bit too much because you've got to remember, and and just draw them an NPC. That's like, well, I I know this NPC. That's an easy one for me to grab when they need someone quickly. Mm. Does that mean they exist in both worlds, or is it the same one crossing over between realms? And it's a whole whole other thing. Yeah, it's really tricky, and I decided to avoid that problem by avoiding that problem, and uh, yeah. to deal with it by avoiding it, and just just have them in the same world and uh, not have to. I can, so I have to make my whole new world and just be a bit lazy. <laughs> well, well, tell us about the world, because you're saying that you kind of jump straight yeah. into this homebrew world. And I listen to yeah. the podcast, people will hear a little bit about it. Um, I'm guessing a little, since you're playing Tyranny of Dragons, it does have some elements of Forgotten Realms in there. But yeah. what else have you, you created this world? Tell us, basically, in your words, what the world's about, what major elements, anything you want to say? Yeah. So it's it's really heavily based on um, the Norse mythology, uh, which is I'm a huge, huge fan of. Um, so basically the idea is that the world was a, a primordial world that had no life on it. Um, eventually these these primordial beings arrived and um, gradually started creating life, and they were the three Eldar races, the giants, the elves, and the dwarves. Um, and then over time, the giants' magic allowed the creation of portals to other realms, and that's how all the other races basically arrived. And as races came, they brought their own ideas of gods with them, and, and that idea manifested the gods. I'm, I love... Um, Terry Pratchett and, and Discworld and, and the idea that you create your gods by uh, imagining them and they feed on that on that belief. So, um, so that sort of has been a bit of an influencer as well. Um, and then the giants sort of mysteriously vanished uh, before an event known as the Ruin, where um, a number of gods decided to take over and take power for themselves. 
and create the the traditional like evil races that they go to parts of the drow culture parts of the duergar culture um uh, orcs were sort of split into two different races the orcs and half orcs which in my world are just all orcs they're just either ones who followed um Grumush or malora um this sort of cataclysm happened vast amounts of magic were thrown about the gods banished away these evil gods and ended up setting up a a truce where they were no longer allowed to directly interfere with the realms they weren't allowed to directly influence events um they had to take a bit of a back seat and let the let the races figure it out for themselves um and so most of the campaign takes place after this after this event um but some of the characters are actually from before the event i wanted to incorporate the idea of warforged being these immortal soldiers so um one of our players uh, andrew from the lost archives who's playing a, an asmr monk um, in the other campaign, he's he's a player as well. He's playing a Warforged who was actually there during that cataclysm, um, and he's he's got some really really good uh, improv that he does with that, and he comes up with the most incredible ideas. That I'm just like, yes, fantastic! I'll just write that one down. <laughs> it's so um, much fun doing that. Just being like, yeah, that's that's definitely that person's name. That's definitely how that fell out. Just yeah, like, frantically taking notes so you remember it all when you're taking yeah. when you're filling it out later. I was gonna say, I think I think one of the favorite phrases I have. If you ever if you ever hear me say the phrase, "Oh, I didn't think you'd get that," uh, that's actually DM code or Owen code for like, "Oh my god, that's better than what I had planned." We're doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. now all your secrets are out, so that's all right. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I love that idea of Warforged as the eternal soldier, though, because that's kind. I mean, Eberron's setting is that they're almost brand new. They've only been around for like yeah. 10 years mm. tops so they're all fresh and yeah. shiny but that idea that they're still going to be around centuries millennia later and have seen it all and just be this jaded warrior i love that idea yeah i really wanted to turn the ebron setting on its head because i love the ebron setting and i've always wanted to play a campaign in it and uh, i've never been able to so i've had to just live vicariously through the source books and the occasional podcast or, or youtube series that covers it um and yeah i was i was inspired again by terry pratchett with the golems um that was that was a huge inspiration for the idea of having these immortal these immortal people who who don't die they are nigh indestructible um and they spend they've spent eternity serving masters or, or doing tasks they're named after the tasks that they do um what would that look like what would that do to a person's psyche um i thought that'd be a really cool idea to explore yeah i think that's this is exactly the kind of thing that dnd is kind of designed for and particularly when you're building yeah. a homebrew world that you can come up with this this concept, this theme of something like servitude, something like what is it like to live forever and tweak it out, kind of draw it out in different elements. And it's like, well, you could have a Warforged villain who's just got fed up with all of these things. You're getting fed up with being in servitude for all of their life. So they've gone again, they've become a revolutionary or just a character figuring out, well, what is my point purpose when I don't have a, a task to do? Yeah, it's it's interesting that all the Warforged that I've had as NPCs tend to be quite like nihilistic. Um, <laughs> just just how it works, apparently. I am I'm running an Eberron game for for one of my groups uh, once a month, and so far they hate every Warforged they've come across, simply because they're Whoa. very hev they're heavily involved with the Lord of Blades plots. Uh, so most of the time okay, when they come across okay. a Warforged, the Warforged are trying to kill them, uh, and they've become yeah. Okay, I can see how that might be a trigger. <laughs> Yeah, they're a little bit prejudiced against the Warforged right now, but I'm hoping to bring them around eventually. We'll see. So, yeah. Absolutely. But changelings um, are all over the place. So, they're, they're I mean, I think I noticed when I was listening to the podcast that there was also a shifter character. Um, yes. Yeah, and I assume that was just drawn directly from, I'm not going to say which one. Um, no, that was drawn from, yeah, drawn from the Eberron stuff. And I'm like, oh, 
I see what you're doing now. You're just kind of bringing in all these elements of making the world unique for you and just saying, this is something I really enjoy and we'll make the law work later. But it's just, this is what I want yeah, the character I we, to be. We probably can give a few spoilers about that one um, because oh, it's, sure. not, it's not too crazy. It comes in like episode three. So that, that is the character of Wiltix who's played by Simon. Um, he He's a sort of a bit of an amalgamation of Matthew Mercer's Blood Hunter class, the, the revised Order of the Mutant and some elements of the shifter group as well. So yeah, he um, we had a bit of fun sort of combining that. He was looking at playing a ranger, but he always plays a ranger. And I told him he has to play a different different class. Um, and he's a huge fan of the Witcher series. So I said, oh, well, look, tell you what, why don't we have a bit of a look at the Witcher series? And let's add a little bit of like lycanopathy, uh, lycanthropy, lycanthropy to it. I can speak. Uh, add a bit of lycanthropy to it as well and see see how that works out. We'll just have a bit of fun with that and we'll, we'll play around with the mechanics as it goes on. Um, we ended up having like a, a couple of sessions where we were sort of figuring out the mechanics. And by episode five, we're like, yeah, we've got this mechanics done. And um, I think I probably should publish that up at some time. Um, yeah. I'll chuck it up on the DMs Guild like that for free. I, I love, I've got a whole lot of stuff that I want to chuck up there. Yeah. I think there's a certain point in every DM um, life where you just go, okay, I'm either going to run everything straight from the book or I'm going to make everything and share it with everyone. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what happens. And I think you, you start off in one corner and then over time you gradually just get pulled across to the other. Yeah. I was certainly of the camp of I'm just going to run what's in the book because it's way too much work trying to balance stuff. And now I'm like, you know what? It'd be really cool if this devil could actually shoot out contracts from its arms and like wrap them up in red tape and all these other things. And <laughs> yeah, now I'm, I'm, I love it. Yeah, that's it's great. great. I'm I'm really looking forward to when my a party discovers that guy. Well, oh, that's so, awesome. You're saying I mean you're drawing on a lot of other influences, things like Eberron and Discworld. Um, I mean, these are the ones you mentioned. What other ones um, have you touched on? Because obviously, running through Tyranny of Dragons, there are certain points yeah. where you have to go. Well, this is where the plot goes. Um, and Absolutely, I'm just and it's very. It's a very railroady campaign, Tyranny of Dragons. Um, I didn't quite realize that before starting it. It's very much like this is where you go. You must do this, then you do this. Um, which I, I, I didn't actually, I hadn't quite realized from the read through that I'd done um, the first couple of times I read it through. I hadn't quite realized how railroady it could be. But I feel that that's kind of good for a podcast because you don't want to be caught yep. short and say, we're going on the other side of the continent now. And you're like, well, I don't have anything mm -hmm. ready. So we're just going to have to end this episode now. Yeah, and that was that was one of the reasons was um, for choosing Tyranny of Dragons as a, as a campaign is because it's one of the earliest D&D um, campaigns published for 5e, and I thought that's going to be a really good place to start. I know that a lot of people um, might not be familiar with it. I think I think it's one of those ones that D&D 5e sort of has been a real opener for people to come in and experience D&D and try D&D, but I'm not sure if it's been... I, I think it's happened over time. D&D's become super accessible. Um, I'm not sure how many people would be familiar with Tyranny of Dragons. I thought, well, that's a good, that's a good place to start with. Um, and weirdly enough, it sort of fit within the realm of what I wanted to play around with anyway, which is this idea of um, taking taking a really clearly evil organization and trying to make them as reasonable as possible um, to see if I could convince the players and, and to really like sit back and think, like, what are we doing and what are the goals and motivations and what are the consequences of our actions? Um, so it's been really fun to see. I certainly love every time the kobolds come along and they're just so happy. They're so cheerful about it. And yeah. the halflings as well. It's like halflings, like he's a cultist, but he's still a halfling. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's that's kind of the point. That's how cults get you. 
I, yeah, and, and that's the thing is like people people like this is a, a like, spoilers for Tyranny of Dragons, but the Cult of the Dragons is like an apocalyptic cult. Like they're they're looking yeah. to to basically end the world. How do you convince people to be a part of that? Well, you've got to be really fucking charismatic for a start. Like you've really got to convince people this is this is a good thing. You want this. Um, and real world cults are not full of super seedy, dodgy people who are obviously super seedy, dodgy people. They're secretly super seedy, dodgy people. Um, so I wanted to have that sort of bubbling way under the surface, but on the surface, they appear somewhat reasonable. And that's, yeah, and throwing that at players is even better because it's suddenly all these opportunities for role play and for misunderstandings and somebody going, well, maybe maybe we can get them on side. And while Tyranny of Dragons, like we were saying, is very railroady, so it does progress at a certain thing and you do have to kind of fight certain people, you can take it off the rails in individual cases. Mm-hmm and still have all those things oh, like yeah. you can go that npc well instead of defeating them they just give you the information yeah we actually had a pretty major one um early on one of the the mini bosses as it were um is a dragon a half dragon called langda drosa um and i had a chat with claire who's playing a dragonborn and i thought oh wouldn't it be interesting if rather than being a, a blatant half dragon he's actually more sort of on the dragonborn side of things and we'll give her a chance to actually have interacted with him in her childhood um and they had a very similar upbringing and he ended up joining the cult and she ended up going in her pathway and joining the adventurers um and in the end they actually managed to talk him around to joining their side they actually talked him out of um siding with the cult which was really surprising for me because I, I wasn't sort of expecting them but they presented such a great argument and the way they went about it and the way they they discussed it um, was super compelling and it was really compelling with the backstory that had come up for him as this sort of slightly more sympathetic character um so it was really cool. So they, they, they've talked their way around one, one quite heavy fight already and actually brought him on side. So he's actually going to be making a few comebacks, whereas in, in Tyranny of Dragons, the module, his role is to die in Chapter 2, a gruesome death at the hands of the party. Um, but he's now joining the guild. He's like going to take over like administrator duties and things like that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And they, I think those are the kind of things that players remember and listeners will remember forever. It's just that what you're expecting to be this standard combat suddenly becomes this interaction and becomes an NPC that they'll go, hey, remember that when we talked that guy around and got him to put down his weapon and then he became one of our best friends? And it, it is that epic Gilgamesh yeah. sort of feel where they are almost mythic of, of allies and foes um, or enemies and joining together. I think players know when there's a certain action expected of them and when they're able to subvert that expectation, I think those are the moments where players know that they've done a really, really good job when they've, they've actually subverted that expectation either from the module or from themselves or from the, from the DM uh, or from just like memes and social norms about how things are supposed to go in a mind. Like we have an idea of what a, of what a, how a situation should come out. And when you're able to subvert that expectation, that's when it's really memorable because it stands out. It's a contrast to what you're expecting. I mean, it's still, there's also that catharsis of this is a person who's been bullying me all my life and I get to punch him in the face, which is really fun. Oh, too. Yeah, yeah. But having them see then, see, <laughs> then having them see the error of their ways and go, well, actually, I'm really sorry about that and what I've done. It's can be even better in some cases. And I'm wondering whether that's, that's very much something I feel came from Discworld a lot of the time, that there is that humanist element yeah. that sometimes it's not about fighting the war or killing the king and replacing him with someone else. It's about working out what is actually best for the world in this situation and sometimes what are the things terry pratchett does? oh sorry no you go no no don't go feel free to interrupt me no no I, I was gonna say i think one of the things terry pratchett does really well is um turning that that idea of how a situation go on its head and i think one of the ones that stands out to me is um jingo uh where 
um, Ang Angmorpork and Clatch are fighting over this tiny island because of its strategic importance. Yeah. Uh, and the way that situation is resolved by the patrician, despite the fact that the Angmorpork army goes over and begins fighting on that Clatchian soil, the way that situation is resolved is actually by sinking the island so that it's no longer no longer a, a point of influence. That was brilliant. Like surrendering oh. completely the, the, the patch of land and then allowing the island to naturally sink back down to the bottom of the ocean. Like brilliant. Um, absolute, absolute bloody legend, Sir Terry Pratchett. It's just, oh, it's was, brilliant. He was amazing. And I feel, mm. I, mean, I remember reading many, many years ago, I think it's in the GURPS Discworld book where there was the, the role-playing mm. system for it. It mentioned that he played Dungeons and Dragons like way back in the 80s and actually had uh, yeah. the luggage comes from part of that that he had a little magic box on legs yeah. that followed him around yeah. so, that was crazy i think it, it's also in like the uh the science of discworld and one of the yes. blurbs as well he mentions like one of his sources yeah, yeah yeah which is so cool it's like it just yeah. seeps into the brain of a certain i don't want to say a certain type of person but it kind of is that there is that that creative spark that these ideas will naturally percolate and part writing part part acting and that's what dungeon mastering and role playing kind of is. Yeah, it's I think um I think what was really surprising for me is that um D&D &D is a combination of being a story writer, an actor, uh, and a mediator. It's sort yeah. of a trio uh, of those three and it's sort of figuring out how to how to balance those three. Yeah, that occasional part of being a therapist to a group while you're acting as a goblin is um is all too real. <laughs> yeah yeah and because all my goblins in a, in my world have new zealand accents um yes. that's been particularly fun <laughs> i was um just doing a session zero with with a mate the other day for a campaign he's going to be running and realized that what i was creating out of this character that i was planning on playing was very much almost a therapy session for myself that i'm like you know what what i'd like to be this is the person i would like to see myself as and have a viewpoint that i would really enjoy so yeah, I'm going to play that. I'm like, okay, so might need to go back to therapy for a bit just to work that out. Or I could play D&D with my friend. Yeah, well, it's funny you mention that because I've noticed that a couple of players, so Claire in particular, in the very first campaign I ran, um, which was uh, on a home world called... God, I can't even remember now. How sad is that? Um, she, she, she's, a, she's a doctor now, but she was a med student at the time. And the character she played was... Uh, based on people that she'd interacted with that she was trying to understand. Um, so she she was basing them on these like very rude, arrogant male doctors who are sort of coming into a situation of being completely overbearing, complete assholes to all the students and all the all the ward staff. Um, and, and she sort of played that character as a bit of a way of exploring and understanding that psyche. Um, and in the podcast, we had a guest character come on, who um, uh, Gloria, who's played by uh, Alice. And again, she was basing it on a real world person who she was trying to understand. Um, so I think, I think it absolutely, there is an element of therapy there where, or an element of trying to explore a, a person or an event or a series of events or, or an experience in a different way and to experience it in a different way to try and gain new meaning from it. Yeah, that's uh, a fascinating one. I hadn't really thought about doing that um, in my game. It's normally more of an aspect of myself that I want to understand more. But that's such a great idea for how do you deal with a situation that you don't really understand? Well, I just step into their shoes and figure out what they're going through or why are they acting this way? And maybe I can understand mm. what's going on with them. That's, that's a great idea. I think, I think, for, I think for Claire, the being the brusque male doctor was an element of catharsis. It's like, well, this has yes. been done to me all day. Now I get to do it to the party. <laughs> <laughs> Another element, a little bit of the power fantasy that every role player loves. 
I was actually, for the most part, I'm really proud of my players. That they're, they're really like they've been absolutely fantastic at taking a step back. Like you know, you can sometimes get players who really want to take over and, and be in the spotlight and want to and want to rule the rule the role play and rule the the campaign. Um, I've actually not had too many issues with that. Super early on, when I was running um, some one shots and things like that, I did I did have some issues with players like that. But um, the current group that I'm playing with in both the podcast and on the um, the other uh, sessions really amazing group dynamics and when you find that it's really special it's just it's a magical concoction where everyone works in perfect harmony people get along um and that's when i find the really good role play happens when everyone's comfortable enough and they understand each other and they know how people are going to be working together and they know that they can say as much or as little as they want and the rest of the group's only going to be supportive regardless of what that uh, choice is i've heard that um i think it was just this thing on another podcast where i think it was the dragon talk one where they were talking about stepping back and helping someone else's story helps your story absolutely yep so i could that, not agree more that's, that's a really powerful sentiment <laughs> uh, i wish i could take credit for it but i can't <laughs> but i'm wondering so did you all everybody on the podcast were they friends and mates of yours before you started playing together or is it something that you kind of developed over the three or so years of, of running games yeah, so Claire, I used to live with. We were housemates while uh, while she was studying and when I was first working. Um, Simon, I used to work with. Uh, he, he only recently left uh, left the job that I'm working at. And he's moved into a, into a sales job. Um, Andrew is his friend, and then we were all sort of friends um, outside of that through through Simon. Jared, I met through D and D as a, as one of the rare times I got to be a player in another campaign. Um, Jared was a player in that campaign too. We we started Descent into Avernus, and um, I was having a lot of fun playing a, a bard warlock multi class. And Jared was uh, Jared was part of that, playing a, a dwarf cleric, and um, he was he was so uh, engaging in, in role play and so um, so fun to play with. I thought when I do start this, I'd love I'd love if he could he could join in. And um, sure enough, he was super keen. Like he actually wants to start doing streaming and things like that as well. So it was just it was just perfect timing. Um, and so he's been he's been a huge part of the the podcast and also the the live stream gaming sessions and things like that we've done outside of D and D. And how long have you been planning the podcast before you kind of took the plunge during? lockdown and said this is when we've got the time this is when i'm going to be able to do it yeah like uh two weeks uh <laughs> not much time at all it was i i tend to dive headfirst into stuff and um and sort of just go all in and figure it out as i go along and it's it so far so far has worked out okay um despite some like teething technical issues um and I've, I've like changed podcast hosters like twice because I didn't do my research well enough and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's all worked out okay. And um, luckily everyone who was on board, because we, we'd been planning to do the campaign. So the campaign was set up and ready to go. Um, the world was completely written. I had everything ready for the world. And the decision to turn it into a podcast came with with coronavirus and with lockdown, um, where we couldn't meet up in person to do our sessions. We were using Roll20 and Discord anyway. And I thought, hey, why don't we just record this and, and we can listen back and I can use it as a resource for me if I happen to forget plot points or if you guys want to listen back, we, we can record it. And so I recorded the first, I called like a pilot episode and then uh, episode one. And um, uh, right before we started doing episode one, I was like, quick, you need to think of an intro. We're going to do this as a podcast now. <laughs> um, so that's the origin of the hello, hello, is I didn't know what to say. So I just went, hello, hello, welcome to the Lost Archives. <laughs> but hey, now it's a, now it's your uh, catchphrase. I've been bullied into keeping it. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to change it, but um, I've, been, I've been banned by my players. I now I'm contractually obliged to continue saying that for the rest of my days. Yeah, once you've got something that's iconic, then um, you're stuck with it, unfortunately. 
just repeating a greeting. Yep, that's it, guys. That's the secret to success. <laughs> Repetition. It gets people in people's heads, and and they just remember it, and that's that's how everything works. I wish I had learned um, like conic or um, something like that, and done my introduction like Rafukla. Welcome. <laughs> that would be great. I wish I'd done something like that. Now. I do have a Dothraki dictionary around somewhere. Ooh, that could be good. Yeah, I think actually no, sorry, it's the audio CD, so it's the the proper linguistic version of it. But then again, it's only really if you're running a, a Game of Thrones one. Um, but I do have that question actually. You've been playing D and D for about three and a half years, and you've run a, a few campaigns. Have you looked at any other systems, or have you played any other games in that time, or even before that um, you tried out, didn't really enjoy as much as D and D? I've I've pl I've <sighs> I did an intro to Edge of the Empire, which I've always, always wanted to get back into, which is the, the Star Wars roleplay. Um, it is so much fun, and I've unfortunately, I've just never had a chance to either set up and run a game, and I, I, I didn't want to run a game without at least playing a game first, and so we, I think I did like half an hour of an intro to Games Workshop, and then it got cancelled because the fire alarm got set off. So I never got to actually get into Edge of the Empire, which is it's a crying shame. Um, I've had a bit of a look at Pathfinder as well, and I've taken some inspiration for monsters, any any homebrew monsters and items. Um, I think one or two of them have been inspired by some Pathfinder stuff as well. Yeah. There's some really good stuff in Pathfinder to just kind of draw almost mm. directly over because it's already got that uh, Dungeons and Dragons roots from uh, 3.5. It's very easy to yeah. adapt into D and I'm yeah. just going through old Pathfinder modules that I find at op shops and going, great, I'll use that one. I'll use that one. That's a cool um, spell. Yep. That's going to come in. It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I haven't played in the early editions of, of Dungeons and Dragons, although some of my friends have. Um, I don't, yeah, it, it was sort of, it's, it's something that missed me and I don't know how, how I missed role-playing games up until my 20s because I, 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 I would have loved this as a, as a young adult or as a, as a teenager this would have been right up my alley like both my parents are drama teachers I've always done drama um it was always I, I don't know how I did not get into this like I'm, I'm a huge tabletop board game player and somehow I just didn't realize it was a thing I, I don't know how <laughs> well you did say um that you started dming when you went to one of the the um nights where they needed more play uh, more dms yeah is that how you started playing as well did you go to one of these evenings no so we I, my so there's a there's a board game shop that was around the corner from where i used to live in north melbourne and um they had a sign up saying new D D players welcome like we do intro sessions and my housemate claire had gone to go buy i think like sheriff of nottingham or something like that like one of those classic uh, classic games that sort of you get to play a bit of role play into um and she came home and said hey look i've always wanted to try D, &D. do you want to come and i was like oh yeah, right. I'll give it a go. I've been listening to some to some D and D live live plays on on YouTube and um and a couple of podcasts. Like I I I'd love to give it a go. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and we went along and jumped in at level ten uh, to an elemental evil um campaign. And yep. the DM was was fantastic. We like sat down at the table. He's like, great, you're level ten. Um, here's the book. Get a character ready, and I'll let you know when you're coming in. So we're sort of getting there because we'd both been watching YouTube series like High Rollers. We had a bit of an idea about what we were doing, so we we quickly made up the characters. And then I think like five or six minutes after we walked in the door, he was like, all right, great. Like you guys, you enter a room, you see cultists strewn about the place and two figures bound and gagged. Owen and Claire, would you like to describe your characters for us? Um, <laughs> and that was it. That was our intro to d, &D. Ah. <laughs> which was awesome. It really is so just, good. again, throw you in at the deep end and, and not even sink it's or swim. It's the best just, way to pee. You quickly learn to swim. 
that there's not really an option for syncing in D&D because everything is the no. right answer. That's exactly right. That, that's, that's the beauty of it is that the more out there and creative you are, um, the more out there and creative the session becomes. Like this, the, yeah. the, what you put in is what you get out, but improved by everyone putting things in. So you get out even more. It's that improv yes and idea that we hear a lot of. And I think yeah, I'm, I'm re-watching re Critical Role with a friend and um, I think I'm up to the Whitestone arc where they come across the door. The, the I'm, I'm assuming you've watched Critical Role. Sure only campaign two. Oh, okay. I'm a, I only campaign two. I'm, I know it's terrible. I, it's a guilty secret that I've never shared before. <laughs> There's so much to watch. I mean, there's a reason why oh. it's more, more hours of critical role than the Simpsons. It's like, yeah, but the, the, um, the iconic door of trying to get through and they use, I think four spell slots and take damage from trying to open this door. And it's all comes down to one moment when I think it, Sam Regal says, no, no, we're going to see this through. We could do the logical way, but we're going to follow through on <laughs> yeah. our plan and we're just going to make it and we're going to build on all the weird ideas that we've had. And it becomes this thing that you remember that's like, yeah, it's the door that we couldn't beat, that we took damage from. Did they ever open the door? I don't believe they did. I think um, they eventually found a window. Okay, uh, I was going to say, is it like the door in um, in uh, uh, Patrick Rothfuss's series, the the stone door in the library, that everyone's like, finish your third book so we can know what's behind <laughs> it. <laughs> it's a. I think that may be a little bit like it. Yeah. No. Um. In in this, Scanlan's on one side of the door, and the others are on the other side, and it's like, well, I'm inside. How do you get inside? And it's uh, it's. Gotcha. If you can probably yeah. find it on the highlights because it is one of those amazingly comedic moments when you're not really expecting it. Well, that's my lunch break sorted for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Find the door, the element of the door. You said you started with Elemental Evil. You jumped into a, a campaign that, or not a campaign, you jumped into to playing that, and then you dive directly in with your homebrew. Obviously, you're running Tyranny of Dragons, uh, but haven't had a chance to run Eberron yet. Have you run any other modules, like through those other campaigns? Only, and the, I was going to say only a homebrew. I've, only homebrew. Yeah. Wow. Only homebrew. That's in, how long do you take to prep each session with homebrew then? Um, so one of the one of the techniques I use is to have the world as fleshed out as possible, um, so that if they go places, it's it's there ready, bare bones, and I can generate stuff as as things are happening. So I use a lot of really cool tools. Um, Agnaz's uh, uh, fantasy map creator is mm -hmm. awesome for creating world maps. And it's linked into another one that creates town maps for you. And then I use a lot of resources that build upon those, build upon those um, uh, tools as well. Um, for NPCs, I sometimes just come up with them on the fly. What I do is I have a little cheat sheet that has the races, what accent they have, and what general rules they exist within in the world. And so if they come across a person, uh, I will be like, okay, um, so as you walk in, you see a person who is about six to seven feet tall, gray skin, um, tattoos across the face. You suspect it's probably a Goliath. Uh, and I just, just wing it on the fly for NPCs like that. And then I'm making notes and keeping, keeping things like that. So whenever they want to talk to a specific person in a town that I haven't fully prepped yet, it's all improv. Um, but for, for major cities, I have a handful of NPCs. I've got a handful of, of major players. And then I'll generate characters as I go and as I need. And I'm wondering, so when they come back to that same town that they've already come come across and they come across the same person that you've kind of flew up, come about on the fly, do you have notes tracking down 
what yeah. their voice is, what they like, what their personality is. You just scribbled that down while yeah. you're running it. Oh yeah, I, I use OneNote a lot. Um, I love OneNote, it is fantastic. And um, OneNote lets me link together a whole bunch of pages and a whole bunch of, of characters. And so what I can do is I have like the town map, all the locations marked off for myself. I've got the NPCs in them. And whenever they, they interact with people, I'll just change or add notes to each of those locations so that if they go back to that same location, um, I know who is there and I know who they've spoken to. Um, and I do, I do have a bit of a cheat as well. I do have a semi-photographic memory, which does okay. make things very, very easy. Um, yes. So often, often I don't have to have crazy, crazy notes. It's just enough to have one or two little reminders, and I've got the rest of it there. Um, just comes back. Yeah. See, which that's, is a bit cheating. That's where I fall down because I never remember what somebody sounds like, and I, I have the go-to of all the halflings in my world are Irish, just because I'm okay with. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's it's just easy, but I can't remember that merchant you ran into. Was he happy to see you, or sad, or was he angry? You know what? It's a new halfling. It's just it's another halfling. <laughs> there are a lot of it's his brother. Somewhere. Yeah, it's <laughs> his brother, and that worked. I think I had yeah. a a goblin that was following them around for a while called Skunky, and then he had to leave. So Skunky. his cousin, his cousin Scooney, filled in for him. Oh, and nice! Exactly the same. It's just Skunky was lactose intolerant, and Scooney wasn't. And that's how we remember that's the good. difference. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a good way to do it actually to have uh NPCs like take the place of each other. I should do that a bit more. That's yeah. that's a good way of dealing with it. <laughs> Just swap them out. They a lot uh, of the time they won't notice the difference. No, I suspect probably not. Um none of my players are very um intense note takers, um, mm -hmm. which is which is good and bad in certain circumstances because um I think if it wasn't if it wasn't on the podcast, I'd probably be a bit harsh with like, well, do you remember? Whereas often what I'll do is I'll be like, all right, guys, your character would remember. It only happened two days ago in game time. I know it was two weeks, but in game time, it's only been two days. Your character would remember this. And they can go back and listen to the podcast and remember this stuff if they really want to as well. You'd, you'd think they'd do that a bit more, wouldn't you? You'd think that. When it's there, <laughs> there for the taking, why not? It's, it's I've just realized what a resource it is. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> You've got your own wiki. You can just keep going back and go, what happened the other week when we were talking to that Dragonborn? It's it's great. But the other campaign that you're not streaming yet, but but want to, is that another module? Is that pure homebrew the whole, all the way? Pure homebrew. Yeah, pure homebrew. Um, just just really having some fun with it. Um, yeah, I so far what I've been doing is that, that campaign, um, the, the name The Lost Archives, uh, that campaign is actually exploring what that means. Um, I haven't had a chance to incorporate that into the podcast yet because <laughs> we're doing Tyranny of Dragons module. I've got an idea of where it's going to fit in, but um, it's pretty far away. So hopefully, hopefully we get there. Fingers um, crossed. But yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit. It's a little bit inspired by the the lost library of. Um, is it, Akar in in Avatar: The Last Airbender? This idea of oh, the yes. um, lost library that was buried beneath the sand. I loved that idea of having this this repository of knowledge. And so the, the giants, before they left, they had this area where they recorded all knowledge and all magic and all information in the world. Um, and when they left, the secret to find it was lost as well. And so that that's sort of the, the mission they're exploring um, at the moment. So they've been sort of looking through that and trying to locate an item that has been taken from that so that they can then try and find the library itself, uh, the, the archives themselves. Um, and so that's been really good because it's not it's not been particularly hard to figure out. I've just basically had the world open to them wherever they want to go and however they want to explore, they're welcome to. Um, I know where the archives are, and however they go about locating them is is entirely up to them. And they've had a they've had a really really good run of it so far. Um, 
they've just started a whole bunch of seafaring stuff, which has been lots of fun to run. I've not done too much nautical stuff, so that's been really, really enjoyable to have um, have uh, the pirate voice come back out and be like, "Ah, oh, we named the monkey Jack." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that's great. Well, then you can bring in stuff from Ghost of Saltmarsh as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I've had a read through that in the last couple of weeks in preparation for um, for a lot of the nautical stuff. So I'm running that session on Wednesday and I've got some really, really fun ideas. Um, definitely there's going to have to be um, the Flying Dutchman ghost ship is going to have yes. to make an appearance, of course. Yes, because this, this is what I find. You just go through classic myths and ghost stories and anything and just go, yep, I'm going to use that, I'm going to use that, I'm going to use that, and it adapts so easily because this is where most of the creatures and adventures are getting drawn mm. from anyway. Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the greatest myths and legends um, of our time from, from various cultures it just resonates so well with our, our understanding of what is human and what is, what is behaviour. It just, it just works so well for D&D. Um, so a lot of the Norse mythology has been really inspiring. There's some Byzantine myths and legends that I'm going to look at incorporating. There's one of the, one of the lands to the south that is the home of the Dragonborn. I'm going to try and incorporate a bit more of a Middle Eastern theme to the Dragonborn. I, I just feel like it fits with yeah. this idea of these these proud noble people, these these scholars and warriors. It just kind of fits with that that history of that region. So I'm really looking forward to. Hopefully they head down in that section. Hint, hint, guys. Can you head <laughs> south for once, please? And we'll get to explore a bit of that. That'd be really fun. I'm wondering then, is there something, besides the, the Dragonborn area, is there something that you would like to adapt, like, um, let's say a Terry Pratchett novel would be one of those that would you think you could work work really well? Because personally, I want to do a one-shot that's Midsummer Night's Dream. Where oh, that would be there, wonderful. Where the, the characters are the actors from the play and getting caught in all these, these fey adventures and basically it's just over this one night. But I'm wondering, is there something that you'd like to adapt almost directly? and just throw into your world? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I've, I've Maybe not something sort of a whole system per se, but I'd love to do um, a little bit of the um, uh, XXXX land from Terry Pratchett, the yes. 4X, which is his version of Australia. I'd love to do something with that, and the idea of... Um, the idea of it being this sort of ancient land that's writing itself as time goes on. That'd be really fun to incorporate. And I'd also love to sort of incorporate a bit more of, um, oh, what's the place Two Flower is from? Oh, um, the Agat Agatian Empire. Agatian Empire, yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot more that could be fleshed out there as well. Um, and I'd love to incorporate those elements as well. Um, I'd love to do a, a really heavy Norse mythology inspired one. I think that's what I'm most excited for now. Um, I've been reading a lot into, into Viking history um, in preparation for the uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla release. And I've been doing a stream of that. So I've been reading up on my Viking history so that I can actually give some like historical uh, context to the uh, creative uh, choices they make with history <laughs> in, in Assassin's Creed. Um, and I, I just, it's so inspiring the the Viking myths and legends. They're so cool. I'd love to, I'd love to do a bit more with them. No, I think that have a very Norse mythology themed. Yeah, there's so there's so much through Norse mythology that just screams D and D. I think some, I think it's yeah, Norse. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that all the gods are inherently um, assholes. It is yeah. just so, it feels so real. Like the whole idea of gods have created these races in their image. Well, if the gods are also great, why are the races so shit? Like, why are we so <laughs> shit? <laughs> it makes far more sense that we're like as proud or as arrogant or as jealous as, as the, like, it makes sense that it goes both ways, that the gods are just as, are just as, um, uh, I guess like capricious and as, yeah. <laughs> as uh, strange as we are. They're humanity exaggerated. Yeah, because they should be 
representational of us rather than us representational of them. They should be, yeah. So I, I love I love Norse mythology and Greek mythology for that reason because their gods are so flawed and so um, yeah. so, so human in a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so human. That's it. I think that'd be a wonderful, wonderful campaign to run, or even just play. I mean, it's got to see if Eros has done kind of that with yes. the with the Greek mythology. So I'd love to do a Norse themed one where it's it's very much focusing on the Norse mythology because it's just as rich as Greek mythology. Fingers crossed. That's the next thing that Wizards of the Coast puts out. I'm going to beat them to it. I'm, okay. on, I'm taking you on, Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch out for DMs. I haven't overcommitted my time. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. Um, but Owen, thank you for coming on. It's been so much fun talking no, to you. Pleasure. Wish we could keep going for much longer, but obviously lives get in the way and you've got two games to run. Where can people find you if they're looking for your podcast? Yeah, so uh, you can find us at um, The Lost Archives. If you go onto Spotify, Google Play, Podcasts, um, iTunes, if you just type in Lost Archives D&D, we should come up under Tyranny of Dragons. Otherwise, if you go to The Lost Archives um, D&D and type in Podbean or Podcast on YouTube, it'll come up there. If you want to watch us live, we stream on Tuesday evenings um, at twitch.tv slash The Lost Archives. Um, and to make things even rounder, you can find us on YouTube for the recordings if you want to see the visuals. Um, the first five episodes, we're still getting there with visuals, but by the time it gets to episode six, the visuals are, are sweet as. Um, and that's at YouTube. If you type in the Lost Archives, Tyranny of Dragons, um, I think we're still the first result that comes up, hopefully. So uh, you should be able to find us there. Fantastic. So everyone go check those out. And now the last thing I do ask is um, if you could say farewell to our listeners as one of the characters that you really enjoy playing, maybe the, the kobolds. Hmm. I think um, I'm, my players will get across at me if I don't say farewell as Lang Dedros, that that voice has been the most requested on the podcast outside of, it's like a, well, farewell dear. Have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you had a great time. Hope you uh, share us with your friends all the usual ways of heading off to Spotify and SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts and clicking that like, subscribe, review button and leaving us some five-star reviews so other people can can um, hear about us as well. We are a free podcast at this stage. We do no advertising. Uh, that might change a little bit in the future, which gives us a chance to get out to more people, um, the usual ways of doing that. But you can find me on Twitter as well, which is at tell me your dnd or you can find me on facebook which is at tell me about your dnd you can see me on instagram at tell me your dnd as well look there's no one else doing this right now under that name if you search any of those you'll find me uh, i have another podcast which is of dice and dms which can also be found on soundcloud art for the podcast is by tori tedeschi music by plottington bear Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, everyone. May all your hits be crits.